Hello, and welcome to the Teens for Peace podcast. We are excited you've joined us from wherever you are. Before we get into the content, allow me to introduce myself and a little bit about what I'm setting out to do. My name is Max Heinen. I'm 17 and from the Chicago area, and I have big dreams to make the world a more hospitable, loving, and peaceful place. My vision for that starts with teenagers. See, I've spent the last two years exploring the world of teenagers in peacemaking. My project, Teens for Peace in the Middle East, interviews teenagers in Israel and Palestine to understand their experiences and perspectives on the conflict between their two peoples. Through it, I've found some fascinating trends and patterns. Above all, I discovered that teenagers fit a unique age group in which stereotypes are present, but not yet hardened and unchangeable. So I've made it my mission to share the stories of teenagers in conflicts worldwide, to help alter untrue stereotypes about the other before they become set in stone. By building a platform of connected teenagers in Israel and Palestine, I hope to contribute towards a more peaceful world where peace starts in youth. This podcast mini-series will discuss in depth each of the questions I've asked over 30 Israeli and Palestinian teens to examine how different experiences have impacted their views on the conflict between their peoples. The hope is that by the end of this mini-series, both you and I will have a better idea of how we can promote young people in peacebuilding and understand why young people play such a crucial part, not just in conflict, but in bringing about change in multiple contexts. This is the Teens for Peace podcast. Today, for our fourth episode, let's dive into interactions. As we've previously explored with school and the media, bias and propaganda come from a variety of sources, and it's difficult to overcome such bias and stereotypes without in-person, genuine interactions with others. Interaction is the most powerful tool, proven again and again in study after study, to prevent thoughts of anger from being ingrained in one's mind. This question is largely personal, then, because each teen has a different experience and background. One might be from an entirely Jewish town or Arab town, while one might be forced to interact by living in a thoroughly mixed town. Thus, the topic arises at different points in my conversations. But I intended to ask something along the lines of, do you ever interact with teenagers of the opposite side? And if so, how do such interactions go? If you haven't, would you want to? 18-year-old Israeli, Moore, says that it is rather uncommon to interact with Palestinians in the daily life of an Israeli citizen, and if it occurs, it usually isn't by choice. So, first, with Palestinians, I think we don't really, I don't really have any, like, connection daily with okay. any Palestinians, and most Israeli, Israelis don't. I think the only people that they see that are Palestinians, like, from, you know, the West Bank, uh, like uh, workers that come to work in like uh, construction and things like that, and it's not really something that you, uh, you know, experience like in your daily life. You just see them. You don't talk to them most of the time. Uh, I think with uh, Israeli, uh, like with uh, Israeli Palestinians, like with Arabic people in Israel, um, it's more complicated. Like there are a lot of people that are living near um, and with Arabic people. There are a lot of, um, you know. Uh, service workers that you meet that are Arabic or doctors or dentists but again most of the interactions are like very formal it's very mm-hmm. like you know you, you go and buy something from an Arabic person sure. you go and have a surgery you go 
and have something like that, but it's not really uh, something very, um, I don't know, friendly most of the time. Mm-hmm. A teenager in Israel doesn't experience a conversation with a Palestinian teenager. If anything, with a Palestinian worker, informal, professional interactions, Moore says, Samor counts himself lucky that he is able to interact at school with Palestinians. And something else is that uh, I think um, I had the pleasure to study in my class with uh, Arabic students, like when I was at uh, a seventh grade, seventh grade, like in middle school, basically. Uh, three Arabic students in my class, which is very unusual for, you know, any Jewish uh, Israeli to have in like this kind of interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I mean, during games of peace and uh, those type of interactions uh, were very, you know, special to me because it's not something that you really get to experience in your uh, daily life. Um, which is, I think going back, it's, like it's coming from that place that you're not really living near those Arabic people. Mm. I mean, I live in a Jewish town that it's entirely Jewish, like forever. It's not like something that is changing right now. It must be stated that those I interview and their families and communities are much more likely to be interacting with others unlike them. For each Israeli interviewee I've talked to, there are hundreds of thousands that have never talked to a Palestinian. Lack of interaction is much of the force behind the perpetuating cycle of hatred. Never being able to see someone or talk to someone, for which stereotypes have been implanted in your head by the media, teachers, or even family, means that you have never had the opportunity to personally debunk such stereotypes. Moore, however, has found extreme value in interacting with Palestinians in his childhood. As opposed to the many kids that find inter-ethnic dialogue to be something to avoid, Moore believes he has gained from it, saying he was, quote, lucky to have that experience. Ile, 20-year-old Israeli, says that a lack of interactions are largely to blame for the fact that uh, uh, small kids make uh, terror attacks because it's not their fault. They're like brainwashed since, they're, since, where, uh, since uh, they was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, about uh, the terror attacks and the and the hatred of of, of like the Jews, and I I think that there is a, a way to stop the the circle of hate, and uh, it comes like from education, like in young age uh, you start to to teach about uh, coexistence and uh, not about like brainwash and hate the, the other side. They don't have the opportunity to erase this hatred, or even to qualify it, because they don't interact with others. Eli tells us that a more inclusive education would create the foundation for openness, and that real-life interactions would complete the picture, creating not only activists for peace, but simply citizens that are opposed to unnecessary blanket hatred. That's because, he says, Uh, I never had like a bad uh, interaction. Uh, with the Palestinians, no, the, the Arabs, because uh, when I see Arabs, you know, it's like uh, in in a good way, like in a, in a store or in a, when I visit uh, Jerusalem, it's not like the hate is uh, everywhere, but uh, there 
there are there is many hate. His interactions with Palestinians are eye-opening in the most menial way. They're just like him. Being told someone is like you historically and even politically is one thing, but actually seeing someone in the store buying vegetables as you buy vegetables, seeing someone in a restaurant eating falafel as you eat falafel, means they are a person. They have a life as you have a life. And their appearance and DNA makeup shouldn't build hatred in you for that person and their life. Marcel, 18-year-old Israeli-Palestinian, lives in a town of primarily Arab-Palestinian residents, saying, The majority of the town are Muslim Arab-Palestinians Arab who, who basically after a lot of disputes over the land, it's, it's one of the towns that is, uh, it's, it's called the, the Arab Triangle. So it starts with Kfar Qasim, it ends with Umm al-Fakhim, if, you, if you've ever heard of uh, that town, it's one of the more major big towns of uh, Arab Israel, like uh, the Arab Israeli towns, and you have Kalansawa. So you have the triangle, all of these towns around that are more majorly Palestinian. But for Marcel specifically, this doesn't necessitate a lack of interactions. In fact, he frequently has conversations with Israeli co-workers at his place of work, but they aren't always pleasant. So, okay. For for me, um, when when do I mostly interact with Jewish people? It's it's when I work. I think I've told you this before, but I work in an escape room. Right. Um, it's 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 close. It's it's fifteen minutes away from my town. It's it's in a near nearby town called Petah Tikva, which is a very kind of right wing uh, type Jewish town. I, I've heard that. I, uh, I've interviewed several people from there, which is interesting that you bring it up. Yeah, they have. Uh, they literally have a square called Trump Square. Wow. Where they, they took basically the American flag and Israeli flag and they fl- slapped it on a, uh, on a square and they named it Trump, Trump Square, which is, for me, it's very absurd. Um, but I, I, I act in the escape room in Hebrew. Um, I also participate in English part of it. And that's where I mostly kind of discuss and have these type of conversations with my Jewish uh, co-workers. They do get heated mostly because a lot of, like, the first question is, okay, why aren't you going to the army? Like, why do we have to do mandatory army and you don't have to do it? And then, we, then it goes back to that conversation that I told you about where, okay, are you with them or are you with us? Because if you don't do mandatory army, then you are basically saying that you are in support of Palestinians and specifically the, the more extreme side of Palestine. These types of stereotypes and beliefs trouble Marcel, who feels that the preconceived notions Israelis hold towards Israeli Palestinians and Palestinians themselves are misleading and even false. Where many, many people are just ignorant and they don't, because of the, the fact that they don't interact with enough Arabs um, or Palestinians for that matter, um that's where it's kind of like that's where it changes because like a lot of my coworkers who talk to me and then discuss with me kind of give me this feeling where oh you, you are not like the other arabs which is in 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 itself is a bit of it's a bit racist because you are, you have this kind of general idea of what an arab is then you meet a person and then you understand that it's not the same thing
So Marcel's experiences complicate our findings a bit. In our past two examples, teens discussed how they've found people that are able to destroy stereotypes by meeting people they have stereotypes about, whereas Marcel's coworkers merely tell him he's not like the others. They continue to harbor stereotypes, just not for him. Serena, a Palestinian girl, has a unique story. When I first inquired about this idea of interaction, Serena said this. I don't get attacked with like normal people, normal Israeli people. Like, no, I got attacked by the army, the Israeli army, the IOS. In talking to her, I discovered that as a young girl, she and her friends were praying in the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem when the IDF came to clear the space for an undisclosed reason. She recalls being shot at with rubber bullets and her cousin getting shot in the leg, and she remembers those around her throwing rocks in fear. Following such a traumatic event, Serena has faced the difficult task of dissociating those who attacked her with the Israeli people as a whole, but it's been difficult. And a warning to our listeners, this next part is a bit intense. Because my school is like in the old city, which there's a lot of like, you know, soldiers and stuff. And they just like, you know, like in front of our school, we just like stop. You know, after school, we just like stop like in front of the school, like as normal teenagers. Like we don't have that. Because like going, like if you got like something, you had to go to a doctor in the morning. So you just like came to school at nine, maybe. They will stop you and like, you know, start asking for your ID and just like make you leave, like maybe a lot of time and stuff and if you don't have if you didn't have an id or something like you know that saves that you from here they might take you to the police station and stuff so it's like you know it's just like <laughs> yeah and then if you like if we're out of the school they just like start coming and asking for our ids putting some people and just start body searching us in a really disgusting way like actually disgusting like once I have like a group of friends who got body search with like um two 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 men like the soldiers wearing like you know huge guns and blah blah and everything their sweats and stuff and they put them all in the in, on the wall of the old city and they just like put them like this and opened their legs and started like body searching them one by one and like you know really. Inappropriate. That. Yeah, that you can't even look at it because right. they're your friends, and you can't do anything. And even me and my best friend, we tried, you know, to tell, to talk to them or anything. They tried, like, like they put the gun in front of us, so we basically can't do anything. Under conditions like these, it's near impossible to prevent negative thoughts of Israelis. Serena's only interactions with Israelis come from being controlled by them. She doesn't go to school with them, nor see them outside of school. Being Israeli or knowing Israelis, as I do, makes listening to this difficult. I know good Israelis, and I know that most Israelis are good people, but Serena is given the impression that they aren't because she isn't exposed to the mundane Israeli life. Only this part. Liran, 18-year-old Israeli, says he is able to interact with his friends in a peaceful way, despite having wildly different opinions. But he qualifies this statement by elaborating that he is a very analytical person, not emotional. Watch what happens when we discuss his experiences and how they compare to how he interprets the ability of others his age to have peaceful discussions. Yeah, I have friends who are wildly 
on the opposite side of the spectrum from where I am. Sure. And I mean, we're still friends. We still talk. We understand that we clash in certain areas in politics, but you know, so we just so obviously to avoid constant clashes, we just don't mention it all that much. Well, I mean, we still, you know, sometimes we do talk about it, but we understand that there's going to be a very, very heavy disagreement. Therefore, um, take everything like chill, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. Do you think people your age are mostly able to have peaceful discussions with each no. other? No. No. Flat out. No, I think it's, I think uh, as you grow older, especially like I think from 16 and up, like uh, from 16 to the end of uni, it might get, it, like it might get, I think it just gets worse. I think because people are, I don't know. It just feels like today politics is so polar polarizing. You're either on one end or the right. other. You can. It's especially prevalent in the states where you see hyper partisanship, where you have Republicans who will never vote Democrat under any circumstance, and Democrats will say, "No, never, never Republican Party ever." It, it wasn't like that. He's concerned with the way teenagers interact with each other, unwilling to change their opinions or even dissect them for fear of change. To an extent, there is certainly truth in what Liran says. Some people are naturally more emotional and unapologetically connected to their beliefs, even through interactions. Liran also elaborates that political discussions are avoided if unnecessary, and that the reason he has gained that capacity for peaceful discussion is through Model United Nations and similar forums. So people are, are not as willing to hear out or at least to be open to being convinced. Um... So I don't know if they're able to have like a, everyone's able to have a very, very fluent discussion. I'm always open to it. If someone wants to talk about politics, I'm down. But it's, uh, I think it's just such a touchy subject in today's day and age where I just never saw why it's such a touchy subject. But I guess more and more, especially with MUN, I see how much it can be a touchy subject. I, I do have like, I do talk to, not on a daily basis, I do. I did talk, and I do sometimes talk with people who are uh, on, from like from the other side of the conflict. And it's interesting to hear their viewpoints. It mainly happens at MUN conferences because uh, even out in Jerusalem, like you won't voluntarily, at least I won't voluntarily, go out and uh, talk to people on the street about politics. Model United Nations itself is a diplomatic forum, and Liran tells us that he's built an ability to have discussions through years of practice with peaceful dialogue, but that most don't. Thus, they allow emotions to overtake them. 16-year-old Palestinian Maysan has had some, albeit infrequent, interactions with Jewish Israelis. Actually, it mostly separated, but for really little often, uh... I uh, interacted with some Jews. I really have only one Jewish friend, which is really um, funny because I'm a really social person. uh, And I would like to have some friends, maybe Jews or not Jews. It doesn't really matter to me. And when I interact with Jews, they are mostly nice. And speaking of which, the media really shows a really um, small percent also from the Jewish society, those who hate Arabs and act racistly and 
it also don't reflect the real society of Jews. When she interacts with Jews, Maison says they are mostly nice. But while she's a social person, she doesn't experience these interactions often because of the natural separations in her society. Maison also expresses an extremely mature analysis of the impact of the media on interactions. Both sides are portrayed negatively, leading people of all ages to want to keep away from each other. She's found that the average Jewish Israeli is a good person, but she's troubled that many others are unlikely to find a similar truth since the media discourages interaction with the other by not showing the full truth of each respective society. 13-year-old Yaniv's story is possibly my favorite. Let's take a listen. In terms of the, usually, um, I met a couple of times through MUN and through um, a lot of occasions. And I can say that it really, um, really, um, how are you going to say that? My stereotypes are really wrong. Stereotypes that usually um, are taught, not taught, but usually say in the Israeli community mm-hmm. that um, all the Palestinians are bad and they're not, and they're murderers and all these stuff. And I believe not. And I met a couple of ch- a couple of kids that are really, really nice and um, changed a lot of my stereotypes and. Uh, some of these people are really are really nice, and I believe that there are um, some people that are bad. That they don't think that it's all of the Palestinian Palestinians and all of the Israelis. There's some of this and some of that. So why does Yaniv's story stand out to me? Well, there are numerous similarities to other stories, but it has to do with how I introduced him to you. He's 13. Yaniv learned about stereotypes, about how all Palestinians are killers and murderers through the media and even at school, but he's made an active effort to be exposed to them, meeting Palestinian peers and model United Nations and other diplomatic forums. The nice Palestinian kids, quote, changed some of his stereotypes by showing him that not all Palestinians fall into the description he had learned. In fact, most don't. By keeping in touch with these new friends, he's constantly reminded not only of what he learned, but of the importance to endorse similar understanding among his peers. And he's 13. Shirin is a 15-year-old Israeli that provides a counter to some of the optimism we find in Yaniv's story. In my opinion, I've never spoken to our teenagers, but with adult ones, yes. Their relationship doesn't interest it rests me because I do not need them. And I did not get good things out from the relationship with them. Again, there is a way to do things in our country. So Shireen tells us that there, quote, is a way to do things in this country. What she means is that interaction isn't necessary, or at least she's been told it isn't, and that life can go on without it. In fact, she's never had an interaction with a Palestinian teen and only one subpar interaction with an adult. It's troubling, to say the least, but it's true. Many do think that, or at least they've been told that interactions aren't necessary or are even worth avoiding. Why the trouble? On an individual level, going out of your way 
for interactions with those from other backgrounds may not make any difference. Maybe it even causes you inconvenience. But I'd like to discuss one more story, that of Idan, 16-year-old Israeli. Well, in any interactions that I have had with uh, teenagers who are Arabic or Muslim or who identify themselves as Palestinian or any other ethnic minority in Israel hasn't really happened in the city I live, Kiryat Ono. It's probably been in some after-school programs like debate or model United Nations and in conferences and whatnot, and not really in town. But as a person who is already more interested, I'm going to be people who are likewise more interested. So it's not people who are coming there to have a conflict. So it's not it's not been hostile. Now. So then would you say that the people that you do meet are not representative of what most teenagers think? Well, each teenager has their own view on the political spectrum. But yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say that the teenagers I do meet and interact with from the ethnic minorities are not a uh, are not a majority representation. Model United Nations conferences and the like are, in fact, helping promote togetherness and dialogue, but people don't attend them to create problems. They're there for dialogue, specifically. Thus, Idan says, we must go out of our way, conscious of our self-selective associations, and connect with people we actually wouldn't usually connect with in order to make real change. That was a lot. So what can we learn from these various lessons, and what change can we make? Well, firstly, we must understand that interactions are hard. People are busy, and going out of your way for something that doesn't immediately impact you in a positive way is a big ask. However, there are a variety of things we as a society can do to create change. Dialogue programs are necessary. Hands of Peace and Seeds of Peace, for example, bring together Israelis and Palestinians to talk through the barriers between them in a meaningful way. Encouraging participation in Model United Nations and other political activities is great for creating skills and mindset for dialogue and for peaceful discussion. However, we must keep in mind Idan's lesson that some of this is superficial when not in the real world. That's why it's so crucial to explore ways to integrate schools in Israel with children from various backgrounds in order to create natural interactions early on and create success stories like that of Yaniv. Lastly, it is crucial that the media becomes a place not just to learn about the violence from the other side, but successes. About art, culture, music, and other parts of daily life that help create the notion that the only characteristic of the other group is not solely violence. That will about wrap it up for our fourth episode, but if you enjoyed, stay tuned for more and check out our website at teenspeace.org, where you can look at more interviews and some of our other work. Again, I'm Max Hyman for the Teens for Peace podcast. Thanks for listening.